All right, I want to give thanks for Pastor Tim for allowing me to be up here and put me in front of you wonderful people. Hopefully, I'm praying God has a word for everybody that is here today. And, uh, and I'm gonna, we're going to look at one of my favorite miracles. It's in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. We're going to read that in a second. But I also just want to give a little context. Uh, Pastor Tim has taught me well that any text without context is pretext. And that's a fancy way of saying you can't just cherry pick something out of the Bible. You have to look at what comes before, what comes after, what's the story trying to tell you, right? So Mark chapter 8, Jesus just fed 4,000 people. So cool. Second time that Jesus feeds thousands of people. He did it this time with seven loaves, and there were seven loaves afterwards. And then right after that, Jesus warns the disciples. Actually, Jesus has a moment with the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, these are the religious people of Jesus' time. These are the people that think that they're really good because they do all the religious things, but yet they don't have a heart for God. They don't have a heart for Jesus, right? So right after that, Jesus gets on the boat with his disciples, and he warns his disciples not to be like the Pharisees, maybe because they've been walking with him for a long time, and they think they're good. Maybe he's just warning them, look out for, for the yeast, he says, the leaven that's like the Pharisees. Now the disciples, still being a little blind to who Jesus was, they start arguing about, about not bringing bread, bringing bread on the boat. They brought one loaf. What's cool about Jesus was he was always traveling town to town. This is often why he gets on a boat to travel to spread his gospel. But the, but the disciples, they're arguing about not having enough bread, even though moments ago Jesus just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. Um, and he literally kind of chastises them. He's like, do you guys not remember what I did? And he recounts it. I fed 5,000 and you had 12 baskets left over. I fed 4,000 and there were seven baskets left over. Do you not have ears to hear or eyes to see? Do you not know who I am yet? And then this miracle takes place, and I want to read this miracle. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Give me a chance to have a water break. Thank you. So Mark 8, we're going to look at 22 through 26. Love this miracle, and I'll tell you why in a second. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Someone say, touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter that village. Let us pray. Father God, I just pray that I get out of the way, that you fill my heart, my mouth, my mind with your words, and that you open up all of our hearts, all of our ears, and all of our eyes to see what you're doing and what you've already done in our lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So really cool. This miracle right here is one of my favorite in the whole Bible. One, because it's only found in Mark, right? It's only found in Mark for whatever reason. Mark's the only one that wrote this down. But it's the only time that Jesus actually heals in stages. He touches the man twice. I don't know if you caught that. Why? Did Jesus fail the first time? 
Was he not able to heal the man just by simply putting his hands on him at one time? Well, we know that's not true because we know Jesus could heal with a thought. He healed a centurion's servant with just a thought, long-distance healing. Jesus was raising people from the dead all over the place. So no, Jesus did not fail the first time. So we got to explain this and look at why Jesus actually touched him a second time. And we'll get there. But really quick, I just want to, before we get any further, let's just say who Jesus is. This isn't in your notes. And by the way, we take notes here at Waters Church. If you're new here, notes mean you go to heaven. So please write down the notes. Just kidding. That's not true. But if you would open up your notes, write this down because this isn't in your notes. But uh, God gave me this the other day and I really want you to write this down. So Jesus, Jesus, who is he? He's the master teacher. He's the ultimate healer. And he's the only redeemer. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll take that. Jesus is always teaching, right? In everything he did. In all of his words. In all of his actions. In all of his parables. All of his stories. He's always teaching his disciples something. Even in his miracles, Jesus is teaching and unveiling who he is. The Bible says that there's 37 recorded miracles, but the book of John tells us that there were so many deeds and miracles that Jesus did that the world couldn't contain them if we wrote them all down. So Jesus is, he's the master teacher. He's the ultimate healer. He healed the blind so they could see. He healed the deaf so they could hear. The mute could talk. The lame could walk. He raised the dead. He walked on water. Jesus is the only one to raise himself from the dead. He's the only one to defeat sin and death. And because of that, he's the only redeemer. Jesus is the only one that has redeemed humanity to God. Not Buddha, not Gandhi, nobody else, but Jesus in the history of the world can bring you back to God. And that's an amazing thing. So yes, he's the master teacher, the ultimate healer, and the only redeemer. Put your trust in Jesus if you haven't today. So now I want to look at why. Why does Jesus perform miracles? Why does he even do that, right? He could have just came here. He could have said a few things. He could have died on the cross, and then the story could have gone on. But no, Jesus has intent behind everything that he does and says. So A, I know I I, kind of have it weird here. There's A, there's one, there's two, there's three. But just go with me here. Point A, I think, is what it is. Jesus performs miracles to show compassion to humanity. Jesus meets people where they are. He met this man in a village filled with unbelief. The Bible tells us that Bethsaida was a village filled with unbelievers. But Jesus met that man there. Jesus met me when I was far away from him, when I was deep in sin, when I wasn't even looking for him or seeking him. Jesus met me. Jesus actually sent, he sent Pastor Tim actually into my office eight years ago. And for whatever reason, that's the first time that I heard the gospel. I grew up Catholic. I was going to a Catholic high school, but I never retained or accepted or really felt like I had ears to hear the gospel until God said, Pastor Tim into my office, but what I'm saying is Jesus met me where I was, and I don't know where you are. Maybe, maybe you are struggling today. Maybe you uh, watched something you shouldn't have last night. Maybe you smoked something you shouldn't have this morning or drank something. Maybe you're struggling with drugs or alcohol, or maybe you're hurting because of a loss. I know I have in my past. I've actually done all those things, but it's okay because Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus has compassion on the people that need help and know that they need him, okay? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how good you are. 
So Jesus has compassion on people. Point B, Jesus performs miracles to show people who he is. I don't know if you caught this. Jesus spit in the man's eyes. That's kind of weird. Why did he do that? Actually, two other times in the Bible, Jesus uses saliva in order to heal, right? Uh, in Mark, he heals a deaf and a mute man by touching his tongue, and he can talk, and he opens up his ears. He uses his spit there. And then uh, in John 9, I believe it is, he spits in the mud, rubs it on, makes some mud out of the dirt, and then he puts it on the man's eyes, tells him to go wash in the river, and then the man can see. This is a man that was born blind. And then this time, Jesus uses his spit, his saliva, to heal. I, I don't know how I would be if I was just standing there blind and Jesus spit in my eyes, how that would make me feel. But I believe he did this for a reason. And I don't know if you've ever done this. While I was researching for you guys, I went through a rabbit hole of information. You ever do this where you want to research one thing and the next thing you know, you're, you're studying this and then that. And then you're on Wikipedia. And then now you're an expert of everything that revolves around that one thing. So for you guys, I'm an expert on saliva. I just want to let you know. Uh, and some facts that I found out. Saliva actually contains antibacterial, antifungal, and antiviral agents. There was a study done in 2016 in the Netherlands. They took three rats with open wounds. They put a neosporin type of cream on one. They put nothing on another. And then they put human saliva on the third one. Which one do you think healed the fastest? The one with the saliva. How weird is that? Maybe that's where the saying, uh, lick your wounds, comes from. Now, I'm not saying if your dog has an open wound to go spit on him. That's not, take him to the vet, please. But there's something about our human saliva. Or how about this? I keep seeing all the commercials for 23andMe. This is the ancestry thing, find out where you came from, right? I went on their website, and it says, uh, order, spit, and discover. Our DNA is in our saliva, I don't know if Jesus was trying to say something there. We know that his blood, which is another human fluid with DNA in it, covers us. And, and we get to go to heaven because Jesus covers us and takes away our sins. But again, I thought that was kind of cool. But is that why Jesus spit? I don't think so. So I went down the rabbit hole information a little bit more. And this is what I found out. There's actually, there was actually a, uh, a custom in the ancient world among the Jews that the saliva of the firstborn of a father had the properties to heal eye sicknesses. How cool is that? Jesus was using that to tell the Pharisees and to tell his disciples, I'm the father of the one true son and I'm here to heal the world. I got chills when I heard that the first time or when I read that for you guys. And then I was telling somebody about this, all the information I found out about spit and saliva. And then they told me that you can't spell hospital without spit. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I wanted to share that for you with my <laughs> rabbit hole of information. So Jesus performs miracles to teach us about him. This is C, about him and how to follow him. He's showing us how to follow him. It says in Mark 8, 34, and this is right after this miracle or uh, a little bit after, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anything, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are Jesus' words to us. He's teaching us how to follow him. All of his teachings, they either teach us about who he is, 
They teach us about the, the kingdom of God or why he came, why he had to die for us, why he had to go to the cross for us, how he was going to take on the sins of the world for us. So this brings me to the theme today. The theme today is the better you see Jesus, the more you know him. And the more you know him, the more you act like him. Ephesians 4.15 says it like this. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For some of us, we need to grow up a little bit more in Christ. But it also matters who you follow, right? We know this. It matters who you follow, who you emulate, who you put on a pedestal. How about this? As, as uh, New England sports fans, we're very lucky. We have a lot of championships here. Now, we follow the Patriots, they say. We follow the Red Sox. We follow our sports teams. And what do they do for us? They lead us to victory more times than they don't, which is a cool thing. If we were living in Detroit or, you know, some other town, we wouldn't have that feeling of victory following our sports teams. But how cool when we follow Jesus, he leads us to victory. It's important who you follow. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I made friends with a lot of seniors, and I thought I was really cool because I was hanging out with the seniors as a freshman. Next thing you know, I'm going to parties, and I'm drinking, and I'm smoking, and I'm doing things that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that young. Actually saw a really scary movie, Clockwork Orange. Has anyone seen that? Scared the bejesus out of me. I really, I, I couldn't sleep for like three weeks. I almost wish I didn't do that. But I was following, especially this one kid I looked up to. I, you know, he wasn't a kid to me then. He was four years older than me. But uh, he was really good in sports. He was really good doing plays. He didn't seem to have a care in the world. I looked up. He was really good with girls. I looked up to him in everything he did until my sophomore year, and I went to his funeral. And I saw what the drugs did to him. I saw what the, the carefree lifestyle, the YOLO lifestyle did to him. And I didn't want that. So I stopped following people, and I started thinking, you know, I started searching, but uh, eventually, like 30 years later, it led me to Jesus. But it's important who you follow is what I'm saying, um, which gives me to point number one. Yes, now we're on point number one. Good friends take you to good places. Good friends will take you to good places. This man had some really good friends. He was blind. He was in this city. And what does it say? It, it says... And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. You know your friends are good friends when not only do they lead you to Jesus, but they beg Jesus to heal you. A lot of you people have been praying for your friends and your family members for a long time, and, and you haven't seen them even come to church, never, never mind come to Jesus. I want to tell you, don't give up. I hear stories all the time about people that have been praying for their friends and family members for 10 or 15 years, and more times than not, they do eventually come to church and come to know Jesus. So keep praying, keep interceding, keep pleading with God, keep begging as those good friends did, because you never know. Right here, uh, those connection cards you guys fill out, and thank you for doing that. Get those every single week where we ask you how you heard about Waters Church, eight out of ten of you have been coming here because a friend invited you. It takes good friends to bring you to good places. 
That's also why we have life groups. If you're not in a life group, an action group, a small group, or an EFAM group, this is surrounding you. Maybe you don't have any good people in your life, at your work, at your home, in your family. So surround yourselves with good friends. You're here right now today, right? Maybe you feel like you don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody in this church, so I started serving. Eight years ago, I started serving in the parking lot, and that's how people got to know me, and I got to know them. Surround yourself with good people. So back to this man. He was honest with Jesus because he wanted to see more, right? He asked him, could he see? And the guy said, well, I, I see people, but they're walking like trees. How many people would have stopped right there if you were blind? And you would have been like, well, that's enough. I can see colors. I can see shapes. It's kind of cool. I, I, I can see. Thank you, Jesus. But this man needed a second touch from Jesus. Some people in this world are spiritually blind, like the Pharisees. And some people just stop after the second touch. Maybe you've come to know Jesus, but you haven't progressed. You've just stopped. You've, you've become stagnant, and you need a second touch from Jesus. I know I do. I know I do almost every day. The Bible tells us to refresh and renew our minds for a reason. We need a second touch from Jesus to see who he is. We should be progressing, not staying the same. Love how God flips the switch, flips it about how things are in the real, real world or how they are in the material world and how they are in the spiritual world, uh, which will be in my, my next point. But as we get older, our eyesight gets worse. It says the flexibility in the back of our eyes lessens. And more times than not, if you're over 40, I'm going to give my age right here. If you're over 40, then you might need glasses to read is what the Bible says. For the last year, I've been um, getting migraines, being on the computer a lot, reading a lot, and my eyes have been just bothering me. And somebody finally said, go to the store and get a pair of cheaters. If you know what cheaters are, you're probably over 40. Cheaters are those cheap glasses that you buy at the uh, drugstore. So I went to Walgreens, and I thought, I'm going to try this. And Kelly, who's in the back, her husband, Paul, is an eye surgeon. She's the one who told me to go buy a pair of cheaters, so I did. And I had to buy some cool ones, because they, and these ones are Iron Man. So I think they do this for people like me. They make you feel like, um, please don't judge me. Ooh, see, I can see things clearer now. It's not a huge difference, but I can see everything a lot clearer now. I'm going to have to use those. I'm sorry. But... Um, those are like the weakest ones. They, they start with one and then you slowly uh, progress and get more. But this is my point. Worldly vision deteriorates, but spiritual vision develops. Okay? And that's what I'm saying. God just flips it on us. Mark 8, 17, Jesus says when he's in the boat with his disciples, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Jesus is showing us that some people, maybe, maybe many, maybe most, I know me included, we need a second touch from him in order to see clearly. And we got to go back to that well sometimes over and over again. This man, he could have been satisfied with seeing colors and shapes, but he wasn't. He wanted more. He wanted to see things clearly. Are you content? Here's a question. Maybe you're content with your relationship with God and where you are. You feel comfortable. I'm going to say something controversial. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. You should be striving for more, more of his blessings, more of his blessings on your life. You should be striving to see him more clearly because the more you see Jesus, the more you're going to be like Jesus and the more you're going to be useful for Jesus. 
So let me ask you, are you, are you stuck? Are you one of the blind people? Because there are blind people in the world. Or are you one of the people that are just seeing in shapes and colors? Or are you somebody that's seeking to see in 2020 vision, spiritually speaking? I know I'm seeking it, and I know I'm not there yet. But that's why God promises to finish the good work he started in us. Seek a second touch from Jesus. And then this is really cool. How cool was it? Jesus makes this guy a new creation, literally, because he couldn't see. He makes him a new creation. And what's the first face that he sees? Jesus. That's so beautiful. I love that. And as a new creation, we should see things differently. All right? So 3A, point 3A, when Jesus opens your eyes, you see his miracles in your life, not your misfortunes. His his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw, underline this for me, everything clearly, everything clearly. You need a second touch from Jesus to see clearly. Let me ask you, are you a thankful person or are you a woe is me person? Are you like that grouchy aunt that I started off with, aunt or uncle? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk about my aunt there. Do you blame other peoples? Do you blame God? Do you blame your small group? Do you blame your family? Do you blame your work? Do you look at yourself? Are you thankful for the miracle that God has done in your life? Look, once you've been giving redemption through Jesus by the belief that he gives you, everything in your life is secondary. There's nothing else. Like, that's the ultimate miracle. If God doesn't do anything else in my life, but I'm going to heaven because I've been saved and I don't deserve it, that's all that matters. That's enough. That's enough for me to look at the misfortunes in my life and say, I can get through this because I know where I'm going. Sometimes that's just enough. Are you thankful? All right, and then B, when Jesus opens your eyes, you become grateful, not grouchy. So many, and Colossians 3.15 says it like this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful for what God has done in your life. Many longtime Christians, I'm talking you've been saved seven, eight years. I've been guilty of this. You start to judge the sin of other people. What does Jesus say? First take out the log out of your own eye and then you can help with the speck in your brother's eye? But are you that type of person where you judge other people, people in your small group, people in the church, you think you've made it, you think you're good now, maybe you're serving at the church, you're in a small, maybe you're a small group leader, and you think that you're better than everybody else. I know I'm talking to some people, and it's hard. Your heart gets a little hard, and Jesus warned his disciples not to be like the Pharisees. Maybe you walk around here on Sunday, and you're finding problems with the church, with the leadership of the church, or with all the people in it. Jesus was most harsh on the religious people that thought they had it all together. To them and about them, he spoke the most harshly. So he warned them, we should be warned as well. Don't let your heart grow cold, which brings me to the, my, my 3C. When Jesus opens your eyes, you're filled with compassion, not coldness. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died 
for us. He died for us while we were still sinners. He sought after us while we were still stuck in our sin. He didn't ask the man to do anything before he healed him. He healed him, and then he gave him a commandment. He meets us where we are. Jesus will meet you wherever you are. If you're hurting, if you're lost, if you're struggling, he wants to give you either a new touch today or touch you for the very first time. How can we not have compassion for others when God had compassion for us? God sent Christ to pay that ransom for us and to give us that gift. The gift is to believe in his son, Jesus, and to go to heaven. There's no other gift that we need that's the best thing. We should have compassion for people. We should pray to see people like Jesus sees people. That's why I love this church. We're always welcoming people and telling them, come the way you are. We don't qualify you before you come into this church because God doesn't qualify you before he goes after you. He will change you once he reaches you, once he heals you, once he touches you. But let him do that first. The gospel says no one's good enough. That's why it's good news, because it's been done for you. And then I love how this passage ends, because, and I don't know if I said it, but um, yeah, Jesus is always saying at the end of a miracle, he's like, uh, okay, now don't tell anyone, and everybody tells everybody, because if Jesus heals you, you're going to go tell people. Or he says, go sin no more, or pick up your mat and walk. But this is the only time where Jesus says, hey, don't go back into that village. Why does Jesus say that? Well, you see, Bethsaida, even though it was a home of Peter, Andrew, and Philip, three of Jesus' disciples, it's also known as a town of unbelief. So much so that Jesus would later curse that village in Matthew eleven twenty one, 21, saying, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. This town refused to believe, and I think that's why Jesus had to lead the man out of the village. See, Jesus can't do a miracle if there's no belief. I'm not saying he won't. I'm saying he can't do a miracle if there's no belief. Now, he'll give you that belief. And where do I get this? Just so you know, Matthew 13, 50. And he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. It's not about doing more but seeing better. You have to see better in Christ. And if you believe, he will give you that second touch or that first touch. He will change your vision so you can see in 2020. So let me ask you, are you guys ready to see a little bit clearer? Right after this, really cool, in context, Peter's eyes were opened. Because after this, Jesus is walking with, after this miracle, Jesus is walking with his disciples. And he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some said this, some said that, but Peter says, you are the Christ. Peter's eyes were open, open a little bit clearer than they were before when he was arguing about not having enough bread. But how many people know we need a constant touch from Jesus? That's why you come to church every Sunday. Because the very next passage, Peter says, uh, he rebukes Jesus for saying that he has to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So he goes from saying you're the Christ to get behind me, Satan, right? So we need a constant opening, constant tuning. We need to, sometimes you start off with the ones and then you need the 1.5s and the twos and the threes. And then by the time I'm 60, I'm probably going to be on the really powerful Coke bottle glasses. I don't know. I hope not. All right, so we need our eyes constantly open. Point four, when you let Jesus lead you, he changes your vision and your destination. Mark 8, 26, and he sent him home saying, 
Do not even enter that village. Don't go back to those people that don't believe. Don't go back into that town with all those people that are naysayers. I want you to go home, tell them about the miracle I did, and then come and follow me. That's kind of what I pictured happened. He went home. He told his mom and dad, I can see. And then he just grabbed his stuff and followed Jesus. Bible doesn't tell us that, but that's kind of how I, I see the end of the story going. This man let Jesus lead him out of the village of unbelief and told him not to go back. But he also changed his eternal destination. He changed his physical destination. He changed him physically. And then he changed his spiritual destination. He's going to heaven. That's what we should all want. Which brings me to the final thought here. Last fill in your blank is when you're seeking Jesus, you will see the king. Now, the Bible does tell us that nobody seeks after God, but God will give you that belief in your heart. He will change your heart. Look, this man was brought to Jesus because he was seeking after something. I think we're all looking after something. Somebody either brought you here today or you brought yourself here today or God did something in your life to bring you here today for a reason. You might be seeking after something. Maybe it's answers in your life because you're hurting. Maybe you're seeking a second touch. I know I am. Every day I wake up and I thank God for what I have and I'm seeking after him for a second touch.